0: Welcome to Revelation chapter 2 as we continue our study in the book of Revelation. In chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, we're going to be looking at Jesus' messages to the seven churches. Seven churches then, but also messages to our hearts and our lives today. And as I was just praying, getting ready for sharing these messages, my prayer for you and for me both is that we will hear Jesus' voice in these words. Now, Jesus has some things to say that are so loving, but they're also honest, they're hard to hear. And I pray these next couple of weeks, as we look at Jesus' messages to the church then and now, that we'd hear his voice, we hear his comfort, we hear his challenge. I pray that you would hear his voice in a specific way. The seven churches that he speaks to in these two chapters are the church in Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. And he has something to say to seven specific churches with seven different needs. With Ephesus, it's what Jesus says to a busy church. With Smyrna, it's what Jesus says to a suffering church. With Pergamum, it's what Jesus says to a confused church. Thyatira, we're going to hear what Jesus says to a tolerant church. And next week, as we look at Sardis, it's what Jesus says to a dying church. Philadelphia, what Jesus says to a growing church. Laodicea, what Jesus says to a complacent church. It's what Jesus says to our hearts. Now, some, as they look at these seven churches, try to make it into seven historical expressions of the church down through the ages. There might be something to that, I don't know. The truth of the matter is, I think we should keep it simple. When the plain meaning has meaning, that's the meaning. And these are messages to specific churches in Jesus' day, not historical churches. And these are messages to my heart and your heart today. That's why they're in the scripture. Today we're going to look at Ephesus. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. What Jesus says to a busy church. What does he say? He says, keep first things first. Let me read those verses for you. Revelation 2, 1 to 7. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, those last verses, Jesus says, he who has an ear, let him hear. She who has an ear, let her hear. Listen to your own heart. Listen to, listen to a powerful speaker, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, Jesus Christ, he's the one who is speaking here. Jesus himself is speaking to us, and he's speaking to us in these verses about his willingness to meet the need of our emptiness, to spark into life that which is lacking in our lives many people can relate to this message to the church in Ephesus. All of us at times in our lives can relate as we grow in Jesus Christ. Jesus talks to the Ephesians about, he talks to them about a life that is lacking. What is it like to live a life in Jesus that is lacking? They're believers. They know Jesus, but something is lacking. He explains it here. Here's what it looks like. He begins by saying, here's the things that I know are present in your life. I know what's there, but I also know what's lacking. He says, I know your deeds. You're doing all the right things as a church. They're having well-attended worship services, I'm sure, good fellowship meetings, great Bible teaching. They're probably even ministering to the needs of the community around them. They're maybe even doing the right things as individuals, morally upright, involved with the right kind of people, attending church regularly. All of this, and yet... Somehow life is lacking for them, and Jesus knows it. He sees it. There's something lacking in your heart, he says. The outside looks okay, but something inside isn't right. He says, I know your deeds. He also says, I know your toil. You're not only doing the right things, you're working hard at it. He knows that you've given yourself to the point of weariness. You've given yourself for others. You've given yourself to the church. You've given yourself in your family. You've given yourself in your job. He sees that. He knows that. And yet somehow he also sees that life is lacking. Something is missing in your heart. Jesus says, I know your deeds. I know your toil. I know your perseverance. All that we know of this Ephesian church declares their perseverance. They'd stuck to their faith in a society that was overflowing with temptations. They'd been attacked. They'd been ridiculed. They'd been persecuted. They hadn't let down. They hadn't let go. They hadn't even let up. They were still persevering and toiling in the faith. They had endured some of the greatest difficulties in life, and you've endured. You've endured, and you've continued to love Jesus and read his word, and yet right now in your life, something is lacking. Something is missing. This is quite a church, the Ephesian church. These are quite some Christians, the Ephesian Christians. We'd evaluate them as far above par, but Jesus says that instead they're stuck in a sand trap. They've lost sight of an all-important quality, and if they didn't change, he says, I'm going to remove the lampstand. He's not saying I'm going to remove your faith or remove you from my list. The lampstand is the picture of a church. He's saying this church will die and be replaced by another unless something gets made right in your heart. Jesus talks in these verses about life that is lacking, but he also talks about he talks about love that is filling. He says, I have this against you. Your credentials, they're good. But Jesus points out that they have lost the all important quality of their first love. You've lost your first love. If there's an emptiness in your heart, in your life, that you just can't seem to shake, no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you work, no matter what you've endured, this is the moment to listen. What is Jesus talking about here? You've lost your first love. What is he speaking of here? The process of elimination tells you it's not deeds or toil or perseverance. Jesus has already said, I see those things. You've got that right. Now, now don't get me wrong. Christian love is an acting love. It's expressed not just in words, not just in feelings, but in commitments, but in action. However, we all know that something strange can happen. What begins as an action to express love to Christ can become an action just of mere habit. Same thing can happen in a family. What began as an action to express love to your wife or your children, it becomes just mere habit, just rote. i just doing it again because I had to do it yesterday. The Ephesians no longer met for church because they loved Christ. They met for church because they'd always met for church. Has that happened in your life? When that happens, that means you've lost your first love. I don't know a believer that it hasn't happened to a time or two. We constantly have to return to our first love. What is our first love? It's not your deeds or your perseverance or your toil. Neither is it, this is important to understand, neither is it the feelings that you had when you first became a Christian. He is not talking about emotions here. When Jesus talks about your first love, he's not challenging you to re-emote an emotion that you may have had some time ago. There is something much, much deeper here. First love points not to actions or feelings. It points to a person. Your first love is Jesus Christ. He points to a time when actions and feelings are not from habit or tradition, but out, out of your commitment to him. That's why you do it. Now, the danger of the Christian life is the longer you're a Christian, the easier it is to do it out of habit and tradition. You do it today because you did it yesterday. When you're a brand new believer, what you're doing isn't out of habit or tradition because you weren't doing it yesterday. So it's your first love. How do you reignite a first love? You do it again for him. You focus on the one that you're doing it for. In fact, Jesus is very clear. He says, here's what you do. You want to reignite this first love in your life? Do three things. Remember, repent, and return. That's what he tells them to do. Remember, he says, the height from which you've fallen. You ask yourself, has there ever been a time in my life when I have been consistently closer to Christ? Not in terms of just emotions. I'm talking about willingness. I'm talking about sense of his presence. The first step to renewal, the first step to something new happening in your life is being honest with yourself about what you already know to be true. Your faith has been declining and not growing. And it's not anybody else's fault. Oh, you could blame this church or this pastor or this person that lets you down, but the truth of the matter is, it is your decision, it's my decision. Remember where you were, remember from where you've fallen. And then he says, you repent. Repent, that's a beautiful word. At the center of this word is the willingness to say, I, I've been wrong. If you're determined to keep up a good front, If you're unable to admit that you've been wrong, you'll stay trapped in that emptiness the rest of your life. There's something so refreshing about just saying, I've been wrong. If you're willing to let go of the comfortable life of habit and tradition that you've built and to grasp instead onto his love and direction, you have opened yourself up to his fulfilling love. You remember, you repent, and then he says, you return. You do the first deeds. You do what you do when you're living in relationship to Jesus. You don't stop doing the things that you're doing as a believer. No, you do it for the right reason now. And when you do that, I want you to notice what happens in verse 7. When you do that, Jesus says the promise of this first love is, it's something called the tree of life. You're going to experience the tree of life in the paradise of God. This tree of life, you might remember, it was way back in the book of Genesis. It was in the paradise of God, the garden that God put Adam and Eve into. This tree of life is going to show up again at the end of the book of Revelation. But there's this little reference to it here at the beginning of the book of Revelation, looking forward, getting us ready you got to stay through all the way through the book of Revelation because at the end, God's going to tell us about this tree of life and how exciting the life is that he has for us. That's what this first love is all about, not just what he has for us here, but this first love that we experience in our relationship with Jesus all the way into eternity. Now, in light of that first love, let's talk to him, our first love, Jesus Christ. Jesus, help me to remember. And if I remember that I have fallen, help me to repent. And then help me to return. Jesus, thank you for being honest with me, pointing out those times when I need to change. And right now, in my own heart, I renew that first love. I focus on you. I do it for you. I love you, Jesus Christ. In your name, amen. Join us tomorrow. We're going to hear what Jesus says to a suffering church.